If you've read the literal hundreds of stories that Modern Retail has published about the rise of DTC, you know that Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point-of-sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash modernretail, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash modern retail to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash modern retail. Hello, and welcome to the Modern Retail Rundown. I'm your host, senior reporter, Gabby Barco, and I'm here with editor-in-chief, Kale Guthrie-Weissman. Good morning, Kale. Hey, how you doing, Gabby? Doing great, doing great. The weather's warming up. We're all humid and ready to go. <laughs> humidity I like that. Although, it's got, it, for those of you in New York, we're in for rain for like a week. So even though it's the first days of summer, it does not feel like it. But, you know, I'll take it over snow. Exactly. Um, yeah, so today we will be discussing a really interesting new report, uh, kind of diving into what happened at Daily Harvest. It's the first interview with the CEO since, uh, you know, I guess the debacle went down with their recalls. Uh, Next, we'll be looking into TikTok's latest e-commerce ambitions. You know, when are they not announcing them? And (laughs) lastly, uh, we have a little bit of a really interesting new trend that we've noticed that the Wall Street Journal highlighted, which is uh, final sale items ending up on resale platforms because a lot of retailers are not taking returns as much as they were maybe a year or two ago due to, uh, you could probably guess, a lot of different reasons. First up, let's uh, let's get into this Daily Harvest story, Kale, which is that uh, Daily Harvest, I believe in 2021, had a recall of its crumbles due to, you know, just it was making people sick and really just was not a great look for the company at the time and really impacted its financials since then. Uh, but it looks like they're trying to kind of get back on track this year. Yeah, it was a huge story, especially in the DTC food space. There were a number of people who reported pretty much debilitating illness. And it turns out it was caused by an ingredient that they introduced into one of their products that for like, I think it introduced liver damage, like really, really gnarly stuff. And so there were a huge amount of questions swirling for over a year about how did this happen? What does it mean? How regulated is this space? Uh, and then also, how can a company rebound from this? And now we get some answers with this very long feature story. There's some interesting things. For one, we get to hear how Daily Harvest is trying to spin it, what they're saying. <laughs> they are pretty much trying to look only forward, saying that they've changed everything and everything's going to be good now. There are also there, there are some funny quotes at the end talking about how, like, of course, there are going to be lawsuits, but we're not thinking about that, um, which, you know, I, I suppose they have to say. But I also um, I thought there were some interesting numbers just about how big the company was, what it was on track to do, how much investment it got, and then the impact it had. So I'll read a few just because uh, I jotted them down in my notes. But um, in, in 2020, it was reported, I believe, in Bloomberg that Daily Harvest brought in $250 million in revenue. Nothing to sneeze at. Um, in 2021, it raised a $77 million Series D with an over $1 billion valuation. It was a it was a really big, 
online food startup um, for a really long time. You know, we we wrote about it. It, w- it was a, a huge deal. And then this happened. Um, and then according to Earnest Analytics, as quoted in the Fast Company story, uh, sub- Daily Harvest subscriber accounts declined 38% from June 2022 to May 2023. And its subscription revenue dropped 33%. So sales and revenue plummeted um, or sales and subscriptions plummeted. So pretty crazy, not surprising given the the gravity of the situation. People were were sent to the hospital. The Fast Company story interviews one person whose life is still really not great post post this issue. Like she's still getting acupuncture, still has difficulty walking. Um, but Daily Harvest doesn't want us to think about that. They want to talk about the plans for the future. Anyway, I'll I'll stop rambling now. No, no, that's okay. Um, yeah, and I I, I want to correct myself. It was uh, actually 2022, so it's about a one year mark that this happened. But what is time, as they say during the COVID <laughs> era? Yeah, um, I could have sworn it was like three years ago. But um, yeah, and so now, um, and of course, like you mentioned, they raised a lot of money. I mean, I know that's become sort of normal in this space, but. Um, they had really big celebrity investors like uh, Gwyneth Paltrow and Bobby Flay. So it was really a darling for a while. And even though I think we always kind of, or it was always thought of as sort of a niche uh, company, just because it's really only catering to a very specific person who wants to sort of semi-cook or just kind of defrost some foods, which is, I'm sure, like I could say that, very convenient as a person, <laughs> a single person. But um yeah, I think the sales obviously reflected that. But right now, I think the question is, can it really rebound from that? Because that pool of customers, you know, was very loyal. And with the drop, it it's going to take a lot of, um, I think, you know, regaining of trust to get those people back. Absolutely. And Daily Harvest is now saying that things are already looking good. They have, uh, there, there was a paragraph at the end of the story that says, you know, they've introduced a variety of grains to its 100 plus product portfolio. Um, It will soon announce a deal to make its products available at a national grocery store chain. Um, And that, uh, where is it? Its revenue per customer has exceeded 2021 levels and average order values up double digits year over year signs, the company says, of the trust its customers have in the brand. And so, there are a few things to tease out. One, they're not talking about actual revenue, of course. They're just saying that the r- customers who are there are spending more, um, which good. Hope you know may, that you know that is a good indication. But also, I think the grocery thing is something really interesting because Daily Harvest. Correct me if I'm wrong, Gabby. I think you would know this, but they were online only back then, right? Yeah, I think they were actually one of the few holdouts that really only did. D to C. I, I know they did like a couple of specialty sort of sales and like specialty stores, but um, for the most part, most of that revenue, yeah, really did come from online. So I am kind of curious who this big retail chain is. I mean, my hunch is always Whole Foods, but that's new yeah. there. Yeah, um, that would make sense. But it's also a, a way to try and respin yourself and find new customers who might not be aware. Like the people who who knew about this fiasco were Daily Harvest customers who were online. And so if you're able to get a grocery partnership and have a new placement, it, that's a great way to A, grow sales because you'll have volume, but B, find new ardent people who are really interested in your brand that don't necessarily know about the past. So I think it's smart. It makes sense. It's interesting that that's the way they're, what, what they're doing right now. 
yeah, like you said, I think being this sort of frozen smoothies and bowls being merchandised on a a shelf versus, you know, next to a bunch of social media posts might help to obfuscate some of that. Um, yeah, I think, you know, again, for those who don't know, I feel like there was a really long tail of a news cycle, especially that was really going on mo- mostly on Twitter and Instagram. Um, it, and as always, you know, those are maybe the sort of few and loud people that really obviously are talking about it. But in this case, you know, the lawsuits, I think, indicate that this isn't just a social media issue. No, absolutely. I mean, people people are saying they got very, very sick. And so it's, it makes sense that there are lawsuits. There's, there's one other thing I want to highlight about this whole thing, and then we can move on to the next thing, which is that I think this is a very interesting case where a lot of other brands are watching because of sourcing. So sourcing is a really big question that a lot of food companies have, and they all claim to be clean. They claim to know directly where their food comes from. But it's really... They they only know what their suppliers tell them, and they, you know, there are ways to go about that. But I imagine a lot of people take what they're told at face value. And I thought this was a really interesting part of the story, where what Daily Harvest said is that they were told by their supplier when bringing in this new ingredient, um, I believe it's taro flour, or what was it called? Uh, Terra flour, that it had a certification known as GRAS, which is a FDA designation that lets it bypass the approval process. So pretty much the supplier told Daily Harvest that this ingredient is scientists say it's safe, it's totally fine. Therefore, the FDA just said, yes, you can use it. It's unclear whether or not this was true, but that is the reason Daily Harvest says that it was included in, in those products. And I think that that's a great question of, you know, if you are trying to introduce new ingredients or trying to lower costs and find something that's cheaper and you're told by your supplier this is totally fine it's all natural i bet you a lot of them are going to think twice about that now because this is the reason why it happened and you know there are a lot of new ingredients there are a lot of new companies that are trying to get fda approval and so i think just there's going to be much more scrutiny on the types of products that are going into into the, the the types of ingredients that are going into these products. Just a little side note, I thought that was one of the most interesting parts of the story was just the sort of TikTok of you know what goes in, how it gets approved, whether or not it's true, etc. Yeah, yeah. I think uh especially as we get into sort of more synthetic or alternative ingredients, I was just reading this morning about the USDA is has yeah. approved uh lab-grown chicken, so That'll be a fun wave. But yeah, I think I definitely think uh, a lot of the brands that maybe don't necessarily know every single ingredient um, or its effect that's going into their product are probably maybe going to even bring in some experts to consult on that stuff. But yeah, it will be interesting to see how that rolls out. But yeah, uh, going to be an exciting summer for Daily Harvest. Apparently, you know, summer rollout retail. So we'll keep an eye out on that. This week, another interesting story that we are seeing is TikTok quietly testing their own uh, e-commerce section, so where they'll be actually selling their own products, which is very different than what they've been doing so far, uh, kind of building out capabilities and advertising tools for brands that want to you know, go viral or acquire customers through TikTok. So... Yeah, Kill, what do you think of uh, Trendy Bee, which is a fun name for this section? <laughs> so fun. Uh, I really want to take a look at it. I mean, none of this is surprising. This has been hinted at for a while. I've had people in the third-party marketplace space say, like, I've had many of them being like, I, I hear that this is happening. I hear that this is happening. And I keep being like, well, 
tell me about it. And then they're like, we don't know much yet. So if you're listening and you're in the third party marketplace space and say you have some documents, email me. I would love to, I'd love to know more about this, but pretty much, uh, it, it, TikTok has been trying to build out its e-commerce capabilities for a while. They've had some ups, they've had some downs, but it's clear that this is um, this is a big thing that's going on right now. It's being tested in the UK with TrendyB, and uh, I think Business Insider confirmed that they that TikTok has gotten a trademark for TrendyB in the US, which alludes to that it's going to try and expand it out outward. But I guess my ultimate point is that this isn't surprising, but it's interesting that this is happening now, especially as there have been headlines over the last few months about how TikTok has been trying to reshape its e-commerce strategy. And so there were some some headlines that it shut down e-commerce programs that were happening in other parts of Europe and was honing in on its focus. And it seems like this is what the new focus is. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I I think one other thing that's really interesting is that the some of the products that it will be or it is actually already selling are, of course, you know, they have the advantage of knowing what products are trending on their own platform or their own algorithm. So they are able to essentially pull, you know, whether, whether it's dropshipping or I think even acquiring some manufacturing uh, plants to be able to sell them. Right now, uh, the trending videos featuring like tool to extract earwax, which is a little gross to think about in the morning, um, is, are being tested. Uh, and yeah, like you said, we might or may not be seeing it in the US. I feel like they kind of test a lot and go back and forth a lot. So we don't know if this is actually going to uh, be implemented. But at, in this case, I mean, are the brands nervous that TikTok could essentially be kind of become like a Shein or an Amazon where they could actually compete with their own uh, marketplace sellers? Yeah, I don't know. I think we'll have to see what type of products come out of it. it the, right now, and this, the, when you talk about tools like earwax extractors, it seems like it's following a similar playbook to like Timu, which is like cheap, fun things that you just sort of scroll and click on, and it'll be a couple bucks, and then a few days to a couple of weeks later, it'll be mailed to your house. And so maybe that's that's what TikTok is going for, or maybe that's the entryway in before it becomes a bigger thing where people can buy more sturdy, you know, sturdier purchases. But I, I don't, if I were a brand, I don't think I would necessarily be scared right now. I would be very interested to know exactly what it is that they're selling, whether or not people are buying it and and how to go from there. Because there's always been this question of TikTok and all these other apps that are being used in Europe and the US, they all want to sell things. They all want people to buy on them, but that has yet to really be proven to be true. We have not seen people buy products in these social media apps um, at the same volume that they do in Asia. And so this is the latest attempt to do that, whether or not it'll work. Maybe it will, maybe it won't, maybe it'll somewhat work and that will set the stage for future iterations so that it, it slowly ramps up. But I wouldn't, if I were a brand, I wouldn't be scared. I would just be kind of fascinated to know what exactly is happening. Yeah. Another, uh, you know, interesting timing factor for this is that uh, it does come at a time when uh, other, actually other social platforms have scaled back. So we yeah. saw a few months ago that Instagram actually took away this very capability of, obviously they were not selling their own products, but they were for a couple of years really pushing uh, in-app sales. And I think psychologically, when you talk to analysts, they're like, people don't really shop like that. They still want to see a real website um, when they buy something. So yeah, we will see how that goes. Next up, we are going to be talking about 
Uh, this really interesting Wall Street Journal report that we saw, which shows, you know, we keep hearing about return policies changing. So naturally, you know, what happens to those unreturnable items? And it turns out a lot of savvy shoppers are actually reselling them online, which I have heard about anecdotally, but uh, looks like we actually have some data here that backs that up. So, Kel, you want to run the numbers? Sure. Just uh, pretty much the story is about how uh, more platforms and retailers, especially resale platforms, um, are saying no returns, which makes sense. Um, and so the Wall Street Journal article specifically cites Poshmark, which says that there's been a 61% rise in garments marked, quote, new with tags, and that feature the words final sale in the description since 2022. So pretty much there are a lot of sellers on Poshmark who are saying, buy this from me, but you can't return it from me. Um, and this is what I find really fascinating is this is a conversation that's been happening with brands and retailers for years now, specifically with online returns. And so I went back and tried to find some data about uh, online returns because pretty much the norm for the last decade has been if you are an online retailer, you need to provide some type of free or not too expensive return process, but that really eats at your margin so much so that many companies have said that returns have killed them, especially like during the holiday season when you see a big influx in sales and then come January, you see a huge influx in returns. Um, and so a Pitney Bowes survey last year found that online returns cost retailers an average of 21% of order value. And then several brands said the ratios was actually com considerably higher than that. So pretty much my point here is that this is a big problem. I went to Shop Talk a couple of months ago and this was a really big issue that a lot of the retailers were talking about. And there were a lot of vendors trying to sell their their new products that lower online returns or do something to, to make it cheaper. Um, and so I think it's interesting that one, one of the new strategies that these companies are coming up with is simply, sure, buy this, but you can't return it. Yeah, exactly. And uh, it's just such a juxtaposition of what the U.S. consumers been used to. I mean, you know, you go to a department store like Nordstrom, where they're all about customer service. You have, it used to be a lifetime, actually, but uh, now it's up to a year return, which is just day and night from some of the return policies we're seeing now online. There's this new movement, and this was something I asked a bunch of founders about a couple of months ago when I first heard about it, but um, I believe it's with Verishop. They have this program that they're working with brands where essentially if they have a section of their online site that says this is these things are discounted, but you are saying you will not return it. Um, and so pretty much it's an agreement. Like, do you want a discount on this product? Sure, but then you won't return it. And Verishop is saying this is a great way to lower your returns. Doing the discount leads to greater sales down the line. You don't have to incur the cost of shipping, et cetera, reverse logistics. Um, but well, the question that I kept asking a bunch of founders was, like, does that work? It, it, is that something that is actually going to solve this problem? And pretty, pretty unanimously, everyone said no, because um, the type of person that is going to buy a product with the agreement that they won't return it is not every shopper. It's someone who knows that brand or really wants that product. And they're going to be turning off shoppers. People shop online, especially since you can't try it on, specifically because they know that if it doesn't fit, they can return it. And so this is foreclosing upon that opportunity, and it's not really reading the room in terms of consumption and, and shopping patterns. And so I think it's really interesting that this is gaining so much traction when I do think that it's not taking into account the way that people necessarily shop, you know? 
Yeah, I mean, this is, a, like we said, it's nothing new. I mean, final sale on clearance, those yeah, that's big true. red letters have been around for a while. But like you said, it's it's it's, it's essentially you're willing to roll the dice on something to do that. And um, I've definitely done that. I've listed an item that did not fit. <laughs> it was a whole debacle. Um, but I think most people just don't want to deal with that. And we want the convenience of being able to return everything, really. So, yeah, we'll, uh, it'll be interesting to see whether this actually continues to happen. I, I don't really see it, you know, like you said, kind of taking off, but we'll we'll monitor that, I guess. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting. I'm sure some will try it and catch on. I just really do think that it doesn't take into account a lot of new shoppers. Um and it doesn't take into account you know, the the very reason why online shopping is different from in-person shopping is that you're sort of taking a leap of faith. And so if you unless you've tried that product before, why would you agree to buy it and then say, like, yeah, I, I can't return it? Well, that's our show for this week. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else you're listening. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the Modern Retail Podcast to hear interviews with industry leaders every Thursday. We are taking next week off for the long weekend, but Modern Retail Rundown will be back in a couple of weeks. As always, thank you for listening. Thank you.